0: Everybody, welcome to Word Up Podcast. I'm Evie. And my name is Bill Scurry. (laughs) We don't have surnames. All right,
1: take it again. (laughs) Hello,
2: folks. Welcome to Word Up Podcast. My name is Joshua Baumgart and sitting here for Evie and just Bill. We welcome to (laughs) season number three, uh, where we're going to discuss a lot of different things. And one
1: of them will happen to be poetry. This episode was produced and sound designed by Burgundy Sound Studio. Burgundy Sound Studio. Sound better.
0: Hello and welcome to Word Up Podcast. I'm Evie. And I'm Bill. And I'm super excited to kick off the season three with you, Bill.
1: I'm very excited to be here, Evie. I think we're going to have a, a great adventure and it all starts now.
0: Yeah, super exciting.
1: I love the fact that you do the branding and it looks so great. And Aww. I feel like I'm really on the ground floor of this exciting launch for season three.
0: Super exciting. And yeah. we are here for episode one with one and only man who goes by many names, but we know him as Joshua Baumgarten. That is his name, yes. <laughs>
2: It's
1: nice to be here. Episode one, season three. Was
0: yeah. I also episode one on season one? Yes, wow. you
1: were. Oh, this wow. Is an honor.
0: This is the revisiting the new you.
1: It's cool. It's, it's, already, a, it's already a reboot, yes. right? It's like Star Trek 2009 up in this it's piece. It's like let's catch up and see how life has fucked you over. Josh has been recast with a younger actor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been? How yeah. has been uh, life past few years?
1: Life, uh, yeah.
2: Prima, fine, go with the... Or as I like to say nowadays, COVID the flow. What? <laughs> 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 that's great, man. Oh, tough room. I said it the other night. I said <laughs> to somebody, I said, ah, go with the flow. And then the person overheard me, goes, did you just say COVID the flow? And I go, yes, I did. Copyright. Boom. I'm out of And <laughs> the money just started pouring in. Oh. Yeah. It's like, there's somebody in China making T-shirts right now for me. <laughs>
1: Cafe Press or one
2: of those small sites. No, but uh, I I did, uh, um, yeah, great. Knock on wood, healthy, sane, fit, healthy family, you know.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, it's great.
0: And uh, I hear you closed your store.
2: I did. I closed in uh, this past January. I sort of got out right under the wire. It had nothing to do with COVID or anything like that. It just had to do with I was done. I had uh, reached the uh, sort of apex of my... The time there i felt like i was just kind of passing the days by yeah and which was not a bad place to pass the days by um but you know and it was we were in combination with the guys from the mad daddies the barbershop right. and my days turned into just watching uh these you know white guys with beards overly <laughs> concerned about their beards and the hairstyles and I was just like and some great conversations back and forth and stuff but at the same point I was like you know what Start for something else this is right. uh, this is uh, you know, I'm done here which was fine because I really there were points where I thought I'd be doing that the rest of my life sitting wow. in the shop but that wasn't necessary
0: did someone else uh, or something else <laughs> caught your attention
2: Nah, life. You know, it was my wife and I, when Mara and I, when we started the shop. I always had this idea. Okay, after five years, if we don't make any money from it, we gotta reassess. Mm. So after five years came, weren't making any money from it. and Then I sort of stretched it into seven and a half years, because the shop became like this sort of place where people just gravitated to like
0: right. with the
2: freaks, geeks, and weirdos of Harlem and throughout Holland would search me out, search place out. So it became a little bit of a, a, a hub, a sort of, you know, I like to say, call it an unsafe safe place, you know? <laughs> and I met tons of great people via my sort of, these a uh, shitty term, network, uh, grew exponentially by having that place for that time being. And, yeah, I look back on it with great fond memories of of, of time well spent and time well squandered you right. know, while there. It was kind of, you know, and I thought, nah, it's about time to figure something else out. So now I, I wash dishes and make toasties <laughs> in a toy store or cafe.
1: It, so- it sounds like opening a shop like that, considering that seems like a real thumbprint for you, doing a bookstore with the art component to it, and the pictures that I saw online looked like it was very idiosyncratic it looks like that would allow you kind of a key to unlock harem a little bit as much as for transplants expats like us learning the language is one thing but just because you can speak some language doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to let you in the culture so it looks like you might have had another entry into meeting new people and sort of learning uh unspoken ways of communicating kind of sinking in a little bit more
2: Yeah, I mean, ever since I've, I've lived here for 20 years and ever since I started visiting, which was a number of years, a few years before that, I was lucky I met Harlemers, like core kind of artistic weirdo Harlemers. So I was very quickly sort of ingratiated into quote unquote the scene. So I never really felt, I always felt really part of the city. And then by becoming busier and busier with people and doing things more and more part of the city. And then the shop was finally this sort of like, boom, if you don't know me, now you do. And come, let's hang out. Let's have a talk. And it was great. You know, I got people, the people who didn't know me got to know me, uh, find out about it, or they found out about the shop. People could, you know, find... You know, find stuff there, and it was always great. The young people would come in and be on that cusp of, of yearning for something different, and they would come in, and you could, like I remember this one uh, young girl; she was like maybe seventeen at that point, point her name was Luki, and she had this like one of those kind of canvas bags on it. And she had on there this black and white photo of Bukowski, that famous one of him in the kitchen with the cigarette and the, and the hooker or whatever, the girlfriend, <laughs> you know, looking f- both really fucked up. And I was like, oh, cool bag with Bukowski on it. And she's like, who? <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, in the back, the guy, that's Charles Bukowski, poet. And she's like, oh, I just thought it was a cool bag. And then that led into discussing with her who Bukowski was yeah. and what he did and how he lived and all that stuff and then giving her some names of recommendations for books and she went home and she, she looked it up and then we became we she would come back off it and we became friendly and she started doing you know performance art spoken word with naklik um, spouse for a number of years and she went off to Arnhem to go to school art school and stuff so it was like uh, that to have played that tiny part in someone's, you know, cultural upbringing, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that was, that happened a number of times and I love that aspect because I was at that age, I wish I knew somebody who would have sort of Turned me on to something like a docent, a cultural docent. Y- yeah, and when I went to college, like we talked earlier, upstate New York, I was writing at that point, and I was like, I think I was about twenty, twenty-one, and I discovered Bukowski via, I think, a Chili Pepper song where they rhyme Bukowski with forgot my house key, you know, and <laughs> it was something. Else. I was like, and then I saw a book in, in. I happened to actually be in City Lights bookstore on a road trip with some friends who were old, a bit older than I was. Because I knew about the beats, but I didn't really know about the beats, but I knew about City Lights. So I was like, we have to go there. And then I saw Notes of a Dirty Old Man uh, sitting on the shelf. And I saw the name. I was like, oh, oh that's who they're talking about. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, then I would start going to just... Uh, Nelson's bookstore, and uh, it was on Central Avenue in, in Albany, New York. And the guy had uh, re- an old guy, a really nice guy, and he had this uh, huge Bukowski collection beats and burrows and stuff. But he had a personal uh, uh, correspondence with John Martin from Black Sprout Press. And he so all these first editions and rare copies and small little booklets that they gave out or sent out on the holidays and stuff like that. So I started spending all the money my parents would give me for food and shit on books and go home and oh, just read the Bukowski and kind of absorbed it. And, you know, that whole thing of kind of walking in another man's shoes to, you know, absorbing your artistic uh, inspiration in pursuit of your own voice, so to speak. Mm. Yeah and that led me into some trouble <laughs> but but it was um but I remember the the, the teachers I had at school I took like uh, I had a psych psychology major and English minor cuz in English minor you didn't have to do like crazy papers and I hate the long form <laughs> so, so I took these writing poetry courses and I was writing pretty heavy calce inspired stuff like that and I was had passing out and the other students were not there and where I was and the teacher was like what you can't pass this you can't do this you can't say this you can't pass this out or other teachers I would ask do you know can you read my stuff do you know about who these people are and they'd be like no we don't know we've never heard of them and I'd be like what the fuck where am I you know (laughs) but I believe that this was in the late
1: 80s early 90s. It was they already out. made the movies about him, you know? He'd already been adapted. Yeah. Not like he was an unknown quantity. Well, Barfly, I don't know what had been made by then. Yeah,
2: 87. Really? Yeah. It was 87? It just seemed like I was in college at the tail end of the old school. Yeah. And the new school, the transition, of course, from computers and all that sort of stuff and information hadn't happened yet. So, but it's still, that made everything underground. I had to search it out. I had to go find this stuff. You know, you heard something in a song, you had to go to the library to look it up or the bookstore or find the right people who knew about it. Now, of course, you know, like in the shop, I'd be like, oh, you ever heard of Charles Bukowski? Oh, let's go to YouTube, (laughs) Google. And I think that it's a shame because that search aspect for young people is sort of gone
1: Do you remember about seven years ago uh, or so, Patton Oswalt, back in the States, he wrote a piece for Wired Magazine about exactly that phenomenon. Patton Oswalt grew up outside Mm -hmm. of D.C. in like Arlington suburbs in Virginia or something like that. And he was um, coming up with this romantic tale where he was talking about the hunt for Bad Brains albums when you couldn't easily find things like that. And it was a little little bit of the old man thing where he was sitting there saying, you kids have no idea what it is to have everything ever made just on fingertips here for you. He says there's something about the hunt of trying to find individual issues of Watchmen comic books. And trying to find bad braiding elms and stuff like that.
2: Oh, I I scoured the the village uh, from Top to bottom, east to west side, looking for a copy of the rolls, Great rock and roll window video from the Sex Pistols. When I was seventeen, mm-hmm. I was like, I had to see this. I would only I had the poster, and I was like, I have to find this. And it was just like from one cold video store to the next. Now we don't, have, we don't have, we have it. And now I think I have three copies. Yeah. I think a VHS, <laughs> a DVD. I got the record. I got the cassette tape. I have two posters from it. It's like it's
1: it, next it, to the Star Wars holiday special and Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. 94. Yeah, I
2: mean, it, I, and I love going on YouTube to look up weird shit. You know, it's just kind of from from the past, things that, you know, I was kind of thinking about this old Marty Feldman film, uh, In God We Trust. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember you know, Not Marty. Not that Show. film.
1: No, but I love Marty, though. It
2: was great. Yeah. So I was like, oh. I remember because we were talking about Police Academy before. My father used to take me to all these films, you know, in, uh, in the 80s because my mother didn't want to go a lot of the times. So I remember my you know, the police academy and the God We Trust and Red Dawn, you know, and then uh a Creep Show, Stripes, you know, all these classic films Damn. that would probably never be allowed to be made nowadays because <laughs> they were just Yeah, the 80s were a different time period. Yeah. You know, and I'm glad I grew up in a period where, okay, maybe some of it by certain standards is was sexist, possibly racist, not real. You know, but it gave me the opportunity to make that judgment for myself. Um, like I have this book called, uh, the, it's uh, a guy named Larry Wilde back, I don't know, maybe 70s, 80s. He had this whole string of books like uh, the official uh, Jewish joke book, the official Polish joke book, the official black joke <laughs> book, the official Mexican joke book. All the, and it was just a joke book about that ethnic group and I have the compilation my father used to have all these books and then I somehow we also had the compilation wow and I had this on the shelf in the shop and I remember these students came in one summer and they're American students and they were like you know I don't know 18 19 20 whatever and it was like a few girls a few guys and they're a bit you know all a little bit different you know in their backgrounds and And they were looking around the shop, and then they had it on the shelf behind where I stood, my desk with the cash register. And they were standing in front of me, and I was like, can I help you? And they're like, yeah, we'd like to see a book. And behind me, I had all my books, like the ones I just like to keep by me. And that one was on the top of the shelf. And they're like, yeah, sure, which book you want to see, you know, like that one. They point directly to that book, and I'm like that one yeah sure why okay so I took it down I'm like look it's not for sale but it's you know and I started explaining to them what it was and the face the and I said yeah look you could flip through it and make fun of any ethnic culture you want it's great <laughs> fun <laughs> and they're like the, their facial expression just sank and they all turned a sort of shade of gray and I was like wow yeah you got it, it's different now and I understand that too you know and uh, and the way they're being raised, and it's not like I need to go out of my way to make fun of anybody for any reason, but I can dig a fucking funny joke, regardless who it's about. If it's about a Jewish, we, you told a good Jewish joke before, and I thought, <laughs> great, it's, you know, I could recognize it. And I think, yeah, that's part of, it's a new culture, a new world we live in but that whole thing going back to searching out things to finding out making up your own mind about things allowing something to piss you off or upset you or twist you a little bit way or make you laugh you know it's i miss that i miss, you know the that people are also a little bit overly sensitive to things nowadays and that falls into social media and how everybody reacts oh my god he said this or she said that and you're like and mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it does not affect me on my daily basis. You know, I still have to pee six times a night or I still have to do my work. I still have to do it. I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't care if someone says something a bit off color or a bit racist or a bit rude. If that's how they perceive that, live their life and they are in the politics or they have control over other people, yes. Then we got to get to the bottom of it. But if it's a comedian or if it's a film or if it's a musician and they're stepping out and making a statement or just something saying something strange, groovy. <laughs> I want to hear it. And then I'll make my own judgment because I'm a big person. I have a, bi- I have a brain. I can decide if eh, I don't really dig that what they had to say
1: about it. So, I have a, you know, your anecdote about the shop brings up an interesting point for me. I'm really curious about, as an expat, as somebody who set up an arts org, for lack of a better term, how did you, how did your art sort of synthesize in, in a foreign country? I know you've been here for 20 years now and you've sort of acclimated, you already, you know, got your legs underneath you, but setting up something, you know, you're talking about bringing in, and, and you already have a well-defined voice and a personality. You're talking about interacting with a lot of people who are younger, people from other cultures, other countries, whether they speak the same language different languages. How did you sort of assimilate art-wise? I mean, has has this place paid off to you, and have you sort of paid out to it? Yeah. Um,
2: the the shop in, in itself was, was sort of a, an extension of what the Irrational Library As three words or two words put together is, you know, the Irrational Library was something when I told this story maybe on the last podcast or the last episode was it came out of my roommate and I, Ross, when we after college, he went out west and I ended up following him a few a little bit later. and We lived together while we were uh, in L.A. uh, for a few years. We also jokingly named our apartments. And like one, it was a studio apartment where I lived in his walk-in closet, uh, more or less. And there was a (laughs) curtain separating it where he would be intimate during the night and I would get up to to go to the bathroom and be like, oh, excuse me, sorry. Oh, okay, right on. And then, (laughs) so that was the den of sin. And then we had a bigger apartment and we had a huge collection of books and, and music and art and weird comics and films and stuff like that. And it was like, we have an irrational library. There is everything, there. There doesn't have to be a rhyme or reason why you appreciate something. And you can, you know, appreciate. I always say it's like the connection between, say, Miles Davis, Tribe Called Quest, Rage Against the Machine. You know, there's a synthesis in my mind between those things and those and bad brains and put that all in there. And that's all the good stuff that makes you inspired and makes you thrive in life. That's an irrational library because there has to be there can be no rhyme or reason for it.
1: That's your term, you coined that? A rational library? That's my my swoosh. Yeah. No, it's it's hard look, it's hard to find a two word combination of something people haven't already, yeah. you know Fatigue to exhaustion. I've been using that since then.
2: As It started as our name of our apartment, and then when I was traveling, I used to write Ross letters, and I would say, from the desk of the Irrational Library. And then when I moved here, it became, and I started working at this place, the Fabrique, which was a sort of cultural underground place. I started doing performance nights, and I started calling them the Irrational Library. And then when I opened the shop, I called that the Irrational Library. Now I have a band, I call that the Irrational Library. It's my sort of be-all, end-all term. Um, and the shop was an extension of my, my brain, all the places that I visited by traveling and, and, and collected stuff from, and I just put it to the walls. And it was like, this is the Irrational Library. It's like a piecemeal of just inspiration and from all different nooks and crannies, let's Put it in, get it together. If it makes me happy. Hopefully, it makes someone else happy. And yeah, it just sort of, and being there, and when people came in, hosting them, welcome, come on in, you know. Or seeing people looking. We had this big window in the front, and you would see, and all this weird shit in the window, and people standing there, like. <laughs> what is this place? I'm kind of looking in. Well, I don't get it. You know. And I would walk to, I would walk outside and go, "Hello, come on inside. It's a lot more interesting inside than outside." And they'd be like, "Oh, well, we don't know." I'd be like, "No, it's okay. Come in." <laughs> and some would walk away, and some would come in. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: And people would. Some would be in and out in a minute. Some would spend three hours. You know, you'd be like, "Oh, that person's still back there." You know, and they would come in. I'd offer them coffee or tea or a beer, and they'd be like, "What? What are you talking about?" I'm like, "No, come on. If you're gonna hang out, you need to drink something, relax. You're—it's okay."
1: But I, I've been in a lot of art spaces that look really anodyne. Some of them do not look like you're walking into somebody's anodyne? head. Anodyne? <laughs> anodyne. Yeah, a- sort of uh, a blank, beige, expressionless. Oh, like- you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of them back back home in the states, and it's like not all of them look like the way your shop did, which you quite literally, you're, it's your brain turning into the convolution of your brain going inside out. Yeah, and it's like walk into what my subconscious is, is telling me all the time. You guys get to share that too.
2: Yeah, more or less that's what it was. It was just sort of let's like come together and and possibly find something that gravitates to you. Um, and I used to write poems just put them on the wall or put them on the, uh, on the front window or in the bathroom. I mean, I wanted it to be, it just became this sort of like you came into something, you know, and I wanted people to feel good about their experience, that they were from the hustle and bustle of all the other Hanems and all the other shops and everything fine, get what you need, wherever you got to go. But when you come here, it's going to be a different experience. Um, and if you bought something great, if you didn't, eh, it's okay. If you left a little money, for donation for the beer, great. If you didn't, eh, You know, I, I honestly didn't care. I just wanted people to feel like they'd spent some time during the day somewhere. And yeah, I, I, that's what it was. And it really, you know, a lot of times I had, I had kids bringing their parents. You know, and their parents then kind of pulling me aside and thanking me for, (laughs) like, being this sort of uncle, guardian, whatever person who, you know, introduced something to the kid or helped turn a corner for the kid. Or uh, we did uh, internships all the time, you know, kids from different Fry School or whatever school. And depending on the kid, their interest, you know, what they got from the shop. But I always put them to work. I said, you know, okay, there's possibly nothing to do for a few hours, so make a poster. What am I supposed to make? I don't know. You tell me. You do it. (laughs) Take a look around the shop and take what you see and put that in a poster and we're putting that poster on the door. We're going to make photocopies of that poster and you're going to go around and and fly her for me. Um, You play an instrument. Yeah, how many songs do you know? Uh, Two, great. End of (laughs) your over two weeks at the end of your internship, you're doing an in-store. What do you mean? I mean, you're gonna play those two songs and you're gonna invite your friends and family to come check that out. You're gonna perform in front of an audience for the first time. Oh, it was was so cool just to be able to see young people kind of like challenge them for a, a moment in time. And, you know, unfortunately, my, my, my own son has no Could give a shit about him. What is he,
1: a CPA or something? Ah,
2: uh, he's, he's a great kid. He's, but he's just has really no interest in it. You know, uh, he's 18. He's more into computers and gaming. Uh, my daughter, Pippi, she grew up there as a, as a baby. We had a box there and I was changing poo diapers when people were coming in. I'm like, Hey, welcome. Excuse me. Oh yeah. That's shit on my hand but just make yourself at home you know and so <laughs> she's now very like vivacious and she's comfortable around people and she's always wanted to put on a show so you know yeah the shop was uh, a grand time but yeah when the whole corona shit happened I was so glad that I didn't have that extra stress to worry about um
0: so what are you busy with now
2: yeah it's- Um, Well, when the corona stuff happened, I was kind of like, okay. Um, I was really, I've always, well, not always, but I I was always going to the gym. So that gym closed. So I started doing a lot of uh, YouTube videos, cardio work. Um, And I was sort of like this idea of like, all right, we're stuck at home, but I'm not going to get stuck. I'm going to get fit, stay fit. I'm going to get my mind in gear. I'm not no. going to get depressed. The first two weeks, I think I was a bit weirded out. I was a bit like, I'm not going shopping. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And then finally, I was like, you know what? Let's figure out how we can move with this.
1: That's because you watched Plandemic, and you know the truth now, right?
2: Oh, I saw that come by. I haven't watched that yet. Is it? The, no, I didn't watch it. At I, you know, I—, I oh, my We have a vacation house on uh, a camping in the Beethoven that 's in the middle of the country uh, sort of and it 's beautiful quiet camping and we were going there every weekend mm, to get nice. out of town and picking cherries from the tree in the spring and in the summer there's a lake close by so we had an escape which was great um, to to be able to function like that um, but I, so I started running. And I started microdosing with psilocybin, and that was really cool. And I still am sort of on an off period with that, and I'm looking forward to getting back to it, taking more supplements. I got into this idea of like, all right, there's a lot of noise in this world. I'm going to get my brain rounded, wow. sort of rough, smooth out the, 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 the mm-hmm. straight edges and just kind of focus on to where I want to be focused. And now what the, what's... I'm not going to let all this get too close to me or too inside of me. Um, and I started doing these uh, during the, the sort of lockdown period. These interviews with people in Harlem called um, "Think Inside the Box." For years, we've been told to think outside the box, and now they're. There's a literal box. We
1: are taped in. We're told where to stand. I'm a big fan of the box. Yeah, so it works very well for a linear mind like mine. Yeah. So I was
2: like, so I started interviewing people involved in the horeca and the cultural sector about how everything was happening or uh, affecting them. And that was great because it just got me out and about and hearing people talk. And I, and I just really simply just put it in an editing thing. It didn't really cut anything out. And I made a drawing of the, the head, the title, like real cheapo. But because I, you know, I just like to do things quick and then get it online. And that was really, I did 11 episodes of that. And it just like with my phone, with a microphone and the camera filming them. And then it's a
1: great resource, right? It's amazing.
2: It was, uh, people really, it was funny because I didn't even see it at that at first. People said, this is a great time capsule for what's happening now. And it was just for me, I felt like I want to let a lot of people always can, asking me to talk. I was like, I want to ask you to talk now. You tell me. So I rarely, I didn't say much during the interviews. It was just to let people talk. Um, and that was, yeah, it, was, it kind of, it was that idea of like, all right, we got to keep this creative juice going. Let's, let's keep these things going. Let's not worry about getting shut down or locked down or anything. And we were busy with the band. Um, you know, uh, we had recorded um, the uh, new album right before the shitstorm. We had gotten also a big subsidy for this project between the album and this uh, graphic artist named Trick to do uh, all this sort of, what we call a sort of, the album is called We Are Doomed. It's, it's more enlightening <laughs> than dark. Um, it, it, it's, it's more, it's, it's what are we doomed for or to. Um, and Trick does these um, political oriented cartoons. So our bass player, Michel, said it great when he said, what Trick does visually, I do textually. So there's a perfect marriage between the two, and Trick and I uh, we know each other for a number of years. So he's now what we what we put together was something I termed as pragmatic propaganda, <laughs> a sort of uh, we want to do a propaganda show with all his artwork and our music, sort of in contrast uh, to all the propaganda that we're faced with now, with be it from the media or all the signs everywhere about the corona shit and everything but to give it a little a little twist, give it a little accent, you know, in a different from a different perspective. So we're busy working on that. Uh, we have a number of the album's supposed to come out in January and we're doing gallery shows because we figured the pop podiums are all going to be everything's push 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 and it's right. like really to get your foot in is difficult. And we are a band that people claim to respect but don't <laughs> seem to want to so eagerly book uh, which is fine so and now in galleries we have free spaces you know a trick and throw shit to the walls we can build um, a performance you know, a pop podium. You're in. It's like a fucking one band in, one band out. Now we're gonna have an extended few days to do something with. So we could do a concert. We could do poetry reading. Our sax guitar player is a domine. So if we want to do Bible reading, we might do a Bible reading. We're just gonna see what happens when we go into a town and start inviting people.
0: That's so make, cool. You know, make a ha-
2: <laughs> make a happening. It's like that old school beating shit. You know, make something happen instead of just people passively coming to watch a show so hopefully that's going
1: to continue the valley of the doll sequel it's my happening and it's freaking me out
0: (laughs) (laughs) so on that note i hear you have something prepared for us is it from your new work or
2: uh yeah that's yeah i I did some writing of course or con constantly well not constantly depending on what i'm doing uh but i got this one piece I wrote recently, and it had to do with something that was going on in Harlem uh, around the, um, the new stadstichter, City Poet. I'm not sure if anybody, it made national news, which was really <laughs> kind of funny. Um, I was uh, asked to be amongst uh, a few other people on a committee uh, to choose the next, uh, the new stadstichter from Harlem. In the past, it was like a, a sort of contest, or, or or one of the vet holders or something uh, appointed it. So this year, they decided we're gonna do it differently, change up the rules a bit. We appoint a committee to to select one, and I couldn't compete for it because I write stuff in English. And they're like, "Well, that's one rule we're not changing." And I was <laughs> like, "Fair enough." I was like, "Yeah," and I I always came to them with the idea of like, "All right." I get your point. But allow me, as a person who's busy with poetry in Harlem, write as I write, and then work with a Dutch poet to translate. Because then we offer something to the city that is increasingly inhabited by expats who do not right now speak Dutch. But we would love for them to be involved and feel involved with our city. Let's speak to everybody together. No, it moved the Natal on sign. OK, but it made me think, why do I need to want something so bad that I already am? I am already the one of Harlem studs, but. Uh, oh. it, it's just who I am and how I act or, or what, I, what I do with the city. So to need an official title, I thought, Josh, stop being so silly. To, you know, and, and actually with an official title comes official problems, which is what happened when we chose this young man named Daryl. Uh, Daryl is uh, his last name I'm forgetting, um, unfortunately. Sorry, Daryl. But he goes by the, he's also a hip-hop artist. He goes by the name Insanio. And Daryl uh, sent in something that was, yeah, a video poem about Harlem, which was really nice, some interesting fun wordplay uh, a great form letter and a quite extensive resume in his experiences Um, some people on the committee like we we all went through all the lists of all the different people and we we came to a meeting and we had everybody at top three and for a number of us Daryl was on the top our list, where there were two other gentlemen who were uh, also involved in the hip-hop world who were like, don't choose Daryl, he's got a a big mouth and he's going to cause a lot of problems. And he said some shit in the past that people are not going to like. And we, being white, liberal, (laughs) overly educated people, were like, he is the voice of now, give him a chance to speak. And we debated and debated and we decided finally, it's time for a new voice, not some white, educated, old-school person talking about the, the Sparna and the Stadthouse all the time. So anyway, so Daryl was chosen. Goes to the It goes to the government, goes to the mayor. Everybody's cool with Daryl. Daryl meets them all. Everybody digging Daryl. Charles appointed stadsteacher, and then the next thing you know, it's Kane style, all telegraphed. They're pulling tweets, they're fucking shit that he had erased off of Twitter from like years ago. YouTube video where he made some bold statements as a young man about the Holocaust and the slavery, trying to parallel stuff. And yeah, I, I'm not gonna misquote it because I don't, I don't want to do that. But and stuff about 9/11 and stuff about the Bataclan. Okay, these were things that a young man said, and he then grew up and decided, I don't need to associate with those things anymore. I'm gonna take them away. But these people found it, and then boom, headlines, panic. More people concerned about poetry in Harlem than I think ever before. (laughs) Uh, So this piece is, uh, yeah, again, a little bit about it, why I wrote this. I posted something about on social media about like uh, Facebook about like uh, twisting the opening line from Howl. about I've seen the best minds of my generation uh, post something on Facebook and then uh, live to regret ever doing it because it's thrown back in the face something like that, you know <laughs> I forget exactly right it wrote and then this poet guy I know from Harlem, he took that he was like, and he Josh Baugar then quote, taking uh, uh, Ginsberg's words and twisting them, and Ginsberg would be rolling over in his grave, and I was like, shut the fuck up, you pompous motherfucker. Stop. <laughs> Stop. You can't do that. <clears throat> you know, it's you can't claim to say how you would think Allen Ginsberg would feel about something. <laughs> you just can't do that. So that's what this poem is about.
0: Cool. Well, so let's hear it.
2: When you speak of the dead rolling over in their graves, know that you are only using your own words as a shovel to dig your own deeper. I want to think that we ended up here at this crossroads of ideas for some sort of reason. But when I allow myself to accept this, I know in my heart that we as a community are lost. GPS cannot guide the spirit, and Lotus Pose is just a more advanced position to sit your judgmental ass in. The de-evolution of the open mind, the invasion of the body snatch podcast people, cancel culture thought got you hip cats by the throat, the endless dead-end online debates keeping score as we degenerate. Is this 280-character stream really the open-minded conversation that you're from the toilet bowl tweets claim to want to stimulate? My empathy for all the laptop philosophers who all seem to have something so urgent and unique to say. And like my mother used to say, you know why opinions are like assholes? Because everybody's got one. I scratch my beard and wonder if these fuming, mad Dutch folks aren't just some downloadable app form of a new model online NSB. You see, be it the revisiting of the history of slavery of the Dutch Antilles or the Nazi-led attempt at Jewish genocide, there is currently in 2020 seemingly no longer anywhere for a compassionate human being to reside. And as we press refresh upon an old catchphrase like a modern-day Polaroid snapshot selfie of a society smiling slyly into the lens of regret, like a hashtag shedding light upon that vague dotted line connecting social media and that of the Jewish Holocaust, a revamped slogan that makes our arrogance and our ignorance apparent at all costs, never letting us off the hook, reminding us daily, that none of us are innocent, that all of us are doomed to one day, very soon, be reminded of our own sordid past, to no longer be given the chance to grow, to be forced to suffer for our past mistakes, and to never, ever forget. Joshua, I feel personally called out by that. Good so. And it were and poets from Harlem going online on Twitter and Facebook with these diatribes against him. He's a bad poet. He shouldn't say these. It's it's wrong, it's anti-Semitic, it's this and that. And I'm just like, what the fuck's wrong with all of you? This was a young guy, he made some bold statements, angry young man, and now he's developing. And we had the opportunity to help him turn a corner to develop further and to let people in his social group, his community, see that that is possible, that you don't have to stay filled with hatred or, you know, towards something, but to grow. And the hatred was coming at this guy. And it's funny, if you look at his Facebook page about people commenting and the the hate, the Facebook page from him was all people with, let's say, quote-unquote, more ethnic background in And the other shit, all white people. And I was like, this is so fucking racist. This is so crazy. Okay, I'm a Jew. Do I appreciate him, what he's maybe said about the Holocaust? Nah. Take it or leave it. I didn't have, I'm from New York. I didn't have people die in the Holocaust, okay? So I, it's, you know, maybe not for me to judge. But I th- it's the, the thing with the Holocaust is that everybody's always saying, never forget, never forget. And then the moment someone brings up slavery, they're always like, let's not talk about that. Get yeah. over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I th- yeah, there really is something wrong with that. You know, if one's never forget, the other one also has to be never forget. And let's talk about this shit. So it's not a matter of never forget, but let's get on. You know, let's make sure that generations continue to know about these things, but don't, aren't anchored in them. Um, So, yeah, that's a lot. And then I tried to stay out of the conversation on social media because I think that's a cesspool. But I did, as I tend to like to react, is put it into my words, put it into poetry, and then throw a few zingers out at the fucking douchebags out there in the world. You know, it's a really, what, uh, one last thing about this whole situation with uh, the Stadsdichter was, it was, uh, I think he was announced on a Thursday, or, a Friday, I forget, but it was a Friday afternoon, it was one thirty in the afternoon, and I was taking a little power nap before I went to pick my daughter from school. And my phone rings, which I hear thrill. I never have the ringer on. And, I pick it up, and I look, you know, eyes, and I my eyes, and it says, private number. click. Yeah, I met Josh, and then I heard this sort of click or something, and a recording starts. And in a somewhat robotic female voice, it says, you are a disgrace to the Jewish community. You are a disgrace to the Jewish community. You are a disgrace to the Jewish community. Over and over and over. I started laughing. I'm like, fuck you. After the fact, I thought I should have said, Mom, stop it. I'm never gonna marry a Jewish girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was just like, I don't know who sent that. And I'd never heard it of the C E D E until after till I told people about this. And I was like, you know what? If you're the Jewish community out there, I don't want anything to do with you. You're not representative of the Jewish community, you're fucking, you're garbage. You don't attack a fellow Jew like that. You call me on the phone and you ask me, hey, what the fuck's going on? Why are you supporting this kid? You know, And then allow me to ex- tell you why, because that's how people should act. Be you Jewish or non-Jewish, it doesn't matter. You don't fucking send someone a robocall like that. I mean, it's like, it's embarrassing if that's coming from a community. You I was have like, too oh, much man. time on their hands.
0: That's a great
1: <laughs> robocall, though, man. I wish I could receive a call know, like that someday. I was
2: like, oh, you finally found out exactly who I am. Yes, I am a disgrace to the Jewish
1: community. <laughs> you worked hard to be that, too. I look at all my tattoos. <laughs> you can't be buried in consecrated ground. It's not going to exactly. happen. So, anyway.
0: So, is this piece uh, part of the album? Your new no, upcoming no. album? No.
2: Uh, there are 13 numbers on it. Um and it's a short, it's our shortest album. It's like 33 minutes. Uh, The numbers are a bit more aggressive, faster, more guitar driven than the previous album. Uh, But yeah, it's very, all the text except one song was written uh, last year, more or less. So, and when we made the album and then it sort of in Corona happened and all the, stuff with the social unrest and black lives matter stuff and uh, you know all that crazy racist shit going down in america and or, well around the world you know, yeah. here now um i felt like ah, yeah sometimes yeah i do I, I can't claim to be paranormal or anything crazy like that but i do believe that you can uh, an, an artist can tune into the universe and the universe will kind of uh, answer back and then you, you see what's happening around you. And even though something might be happening today, the rest of the world might not pick up on it till five months later. And, but as an artist, that's your responsibility to pick up on it ahead of time.
1: Yeah, I really like social media, Circle Jerk. and I especially like the video that they cut together for that. It was just Something. like, a fucking hoot the entire thing. It's that just, was so much fun to make.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was just like me and my film editor guy, this guy, Ellard, sitting there one night drinking beer. I go, let's find the most stupid people doing the most stupid Yeah, I've shit.
1: seen about half of those, but it's like, doing Supercut is perfect, and it, you know, with the syncopation of the song, it just nails that message. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, we're going to film a new video for the title track, We Are Doomed. Um in a few weeks and we have another one we uh via trick we got uh, hooked up with this woman uh karen gutfrund uh, Pronouncing her last name wrong but from the states and she curated a book uh of uh art that's oh, again it's slipping my mind i'm bad with titles uh about anti-trump art from around the world and it's thick book and we uh some she asked uh, via a trick we got in contact with her and she asked us to submit a song for a, a video teaser so at the end of the this, during the song you hear the opening song more the obvious less the first riffs of it and i was so excited i was like oh, wow it's so cool and then i heard the sort of teaser and it my voice isn't in it <laughs> it's just a bad, and i was like oh All right. Oh, well. But but Karen uh, actually gave us permission to use all the artwork to make our own video for that song. So we're busy going to make uh, our own video for that song using the artwork from the book and at the end having her uh, speak about the book.
0: So cool. So the album is called We Are Doomed.
2: We are doomed
0: and it's coming out january
2: uh we're doing the hopefully the opening show if everything still goes well in the new evita it's a artist uh, sort of compound in in harlem yeah i believe that's july 20 oh, july sorry january 23rd right i think it's the 2021 one. Yeah, something around there. And then we have stuff lined up in Groningen, Rotterdam, uh, Zwolle, and yeah, just trying to find uh, free spaces where we can get to, and, and and other shows in the meantime. And we're bringing it out via Concerto Records and Books. So we're hoping they're going to uh, uh, help promote it. And of course, then we got this great subsidy from the Stimuleringsfonds, Funds, the Creative Stimulus. There are two different ones. I always, again, confuse them. Um, <clears throat> we got some, uh, yeah, a pocket full of cash to uh, put together something, to uh, a show around it. And that's gonna, yeah, it's exciting. And that took a lot of stress off because we figured, okay, couldn't rehearse, couldn't play. We, we lost, we missed a number of shows in the spring, two tours or short tours in Germany and one in Scotland. and But getting that subsidy was like, okay since there are people out there who really they they see the potential in what we're doing or what we do together with trick and we can work towards that with that and have a a, a long a longer term goal than the short term like oh we want to play the paradiso or we need to play here you know
0: you know so, yeah but that's uh, super exciting and uh, where people can uh, look you up
2: yeah, um, yeah, that's it, yeah, <laughs> the social media stuff, where there's, uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook, and the band's on, uh, on Facebook, and there's an Instagram, and I'm not on Twitter, because I think that's a fucking cesspool of humanity, <laughs> and the people who create that thing should really take it off. Uh, offline, society would be better off without Twitter, I believe. So
0: we'll share uh, the links I'm in not, our uh, episode I'm notes. On, <laughs> I'm on Facebook,
2: I do my Facebook thing, but I really am not, like, our booker is always like, you guys have to have a better social media presence. And I'm like... <laughs> I tried for a day, and, and I'm just like, yeah, I just don't have it in me. Maybe I'm too old, you know, maybe I just... Or not ambitious enough, or I don't really... Yeah, I don't really care.
0: Well, all media doesn't have to be your media, right? <laughs> no,
2: it's the, uh, you get engaged by going somewhere and playing for people and then rather talking to people before the show than after because afterwards I'm exhausted. My voice is scratched, so it's like I really can't talk so well afterwards. Oh, it could be a better listener than after, but <laughs> uh, before a show it's more interesting to talk right, to people because right. I'm always milling about, you know, but people sort of look at you strange if they know that you're the guy performing. <laughs> They're like, oh, we can't talk to him. He's going he's to be on stage. I'm like, so well.
0: Okay, so that's I, the i toasties
2: and wash dishes for a living. It's I'm, We're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking doesn't matter. So yeah.
0: just go and talk to Josh before the show. Yeah, why not? Let's yeah. shoot the shit, you know? Go to but his house.
2: Don't ask me about <laughs> poetry. Send him a don't, don't ask me about poetry, and don't give me your poetry. Somebody gave me one recently, and I was like, it was very nice, but I was like, it's, it's, yeah. I think I'm a poet by default <laughs> because I really have no stamina for the long form of writing. <laughs> so yeah. poetry was always like, get in, get out, tie those words together, make a statement, throw some shit against the wall, and then
0: well it's, it's harder to write short stuff than longer right like that's what uh no, someone said that
2: me. not not for me i well, mean it's for every everybody de- deals with their art form in a different way i this is how i do it
1: and you know it's you know i'm more uh, you know that's yeah, yeah. Well, that is all the time we have. We want to thank our guests this week.
0: And thank you, Bill, for being such a great co-host.
1: Aw, Evie, thank you, too, for being such a great co-host. So uh, you guys should subscribe to the show wherever you find it. We're on all the great podcast aggregators. You'll find us on Google Play. Apple, iTunes, all of the good stuff. And uh, Evie, tell us about our social media component.
0: Yeah, make sure you look us up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And don't forget to say hi. We love it when you say hi.
1: We want to start a conversation about this episode, this topic, and this guest.
0: Thank you, and do
2: Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. My name is Joshua Baumgarten. There's been Avi and Bill sitting here quietly the whole time listening to me ramble on. NEO's doing the tech. Support word up, uh look it up online. Hopefully they'll be back in Checkpoint Charlie coming soon. Uh power to the people, uh stay sane, COVID, the flow, and uh l- Cap- Copyright
1: 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Do we <And> <laughs>